0: Hi, folks. Welcome to the OFM podcast where metabolic health matters. I'm your host, Peter Defty, the general manager of Vespa Power Products and sort of the starting pioneer of OFM. But OFM is sort of a, you know, the reason I want to talk about this is OFM is sort of a collaboration with a lot of great people. And we have one of those great people on who i consider one of the collaborators of this development of this program and that's jeff browning jeff welcome to the program
1: thanks peter good to be here
0: yeah how's things in flagstaff
1: well it's good i'm back training again and uh having a good fall uh been back in the grand canyon having some fun so back back to training. I got cocodona 250 in May, so I got to start the build up for for cocodona, and um so I'm kind of ge- gearing up for um a midwinter 100 miler.
0: So you you didn't get enough after Moab 240, huh?
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I let it <laughs> I let it sit for a season before um actually my wife said it was alright for me to do another 200 with with her probably her teeth clenched a little bit, but um, she doesn't think these two hundred plus are good for you. But um, I like I like the puzzle, so I want I want to crack I want to crack it. Um, they're, they're like they're like hundred <laughs> milers on steroids. So well, I, I and, do like. Lo- yeah, go ahead.
0: Um, my 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 sources or my moles tell me um, that Jen was more amped up and nervous crewing you at Moab it was more stressful on her than it was for you
1: yeah you know, I, more than well and I was pretty hammered I, I do have to admit I mean uh I have done some fine tuning to my race race nutrition and hydration mainly hydration plan um I think I got a little off and and over drank at night and which made me you know retain water which gives you swelling in your legs and your hands and um, and, and belly and all that kind of stuff. So I, I looked a lot, I was pretty puffy at the end of that race. Um, and you can see it in any photos you, you look at on Instagram or something like that. There's, I look pretty hammered and she didn't like how I felt. And I was pretty hammered for about a week afterwards, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty perky a couple of days after a hundred. Um, I bounced back pretty quickly and I didn't bounce back as fast after Moab. So I think. You know, she obviously she's my wife and we've been together a long, long time, 30 years and married for 26 years. So like she she knows she know she doesn't like to see me uh, suffering. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think 200s are a little hard on you, but um, I don't know. I want to crack the code. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll I, talk I like about the challenge.
0: The, we'll talk about the hydration a little later. Yeah. And, and it was also good to see your pal Jesse take, take the Moab 240 this year. And you were able to go out there and give him that little bit of push he needed. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And we were just talking about, um, I think since 2019, I think every single Moab has been won by an, o- the men's race has been won by an o- OFM athlete um, that may- every year. Yeah, I
0: think so. I think so. McKellie, Michael, M- Michael. Yep. And Mike and it- Knight. Then you and then Jesse and Jesse,
1: yeah, yeah. So, kind of and, a cool, kind of a cool trivia for an OFM podcast. Well,
0: and you know, I was at a race and I can't remember which race it was, but Michael came up to me and says, Hey, Peter, you know, because he, he doesn't talk to me much because you know, he's Michael, right? Yeah, and, and he, he came up to me and said, Peter, hey, I tried Vespa the other day, that stuff works. You know, it's yeah. like how many people have been telling him, "Hey, you
1: got to use Vespa, <laughs> Yeah, you use Nespro, man. Yeah. Um so. Yeah, so I I yeah, I you know, the 200s like the big big race of the year or the 250, so um yeah. pretty excited about that.
0: Well, and before we get into it, yeah, the thing with the hydration, um I think we probably talked about this, but obviously at Moab that that probably became the experience is like if you've got if you're out in the heat and it's like you know no place to hide you, you know what what has to happen is as soon as the heat breaks you've got to consciously back off on the hydration doesn't mean eliminate it but you've got to consciously back off because your your thirst triggers are still geared for that high temperature no place to hide it takes about an hour or two for the body to recalibrate that that need and if you overhydrate then then it really jacks things up well yeah
1: you're yeah yeah, you're putting in more liquid than you're sweating so the body goes hey i'm not sweating this out and i got to store it somewhere and starts storing it in extremities and your gut and everywhere else in the tissue so
0: um, i definitely
1: experienced that i definitely experienced that after the race i know um uh that's where i think from when you make the transition from 100 to 200 plus um, nutri- your, your race nutrition be- and hydration becomes even more important to dial it in according to your unique sweat rate per hour and um, really knowing yourself that way. You know, I've done a lot of testing over the last year and a half since Moab, and, you know, I, I know what my sweat rate is in different temperatures now. Um, I know how much to consume at, you know, say 80 degrees versus 40 degrees um, and so forth. And, uh, I've also even had my sodium concentration levels tested, um, that precision hydration test. So, um, it's like a medical grade test. Um, so now I have yeah, that, that, that data that, point too.
0: That, that actually will change though. That's, that's not, it's not a, it's, it's, it's going to give you that, that concentration in a place in time because like early in the season, like when you come out from the spring from the winter into spring you know those first spring races where it'll turn into this the, the mid or high 70s and people are just dropping like flies your your sweat concentration at that point is really higher than say it's in july and august because your body will adapt and you're still going to sweat a ton of sodium but the concentration is going to change as the adaptation changes i mean hydration is just one of the most dynamic Aspects.
1: Well, yes, but but yes, sweat rate per hour is going to change a lot, but concentration actually isn't. That's one of the data points that we've seen. That's actually one of the data points we've seen. Yeah. Well, we can we can agree to disagree, but based on the data points that they've tested at different times of the year, they've tested over ten thousand people, and they're they're not seeing a major. They're seeing slight changes, but nothing that would constitute a major change in your strategy of how much hydrate how much sodium per liter drink rate
0: that that's yes because you you have reservoirs but your concentration does change and your needs you have to up the sodium in the spring because of that because it just it just until you adapt like you say in terms of your overall strategy because you're sweating so much more you still need that much sodium that's what you're saying but your your yeah, actual I, concentration well, there's some papers
1: well, I can't, Go ahead. well i was going to say what we're finding some of the stuff like you know even the western state study from 2015 that, i think it's kind of worthless data personally and oh, i know good. some people don't even get,
0: get me don't, don't don't get me started on that people that will get
1: like, me people will get get you know that and the whole um you know, Noakes' waterlog thing. I, I, I don't agree with that data um, at all. And, I, and based on some of this newer, newer testing um, protocols that have only been out for a couple of years now, but they've tested a, a big cohort now, and they've retested people, and they're, they're seeing that concentration of sodium per liter of sweat not change much. It's pretty much a genetic number per the individual, but we are seeing sweat rate per hour change. So it's different huge, it's two huge, different yeah. things. Yeah, so like, the sweat uh, rate per hour changes a lot. The concentration of sodium in that liter of sweat does not change much.
0: Okay, it's slightly. So that's
1: how I – yeah. my coaching has, has evolved on that data point than what it yeah, used to no. be.
0: Well, and absolutely, because hydration is as critical as the actual fueling. Because if your hydration yeah, is off, agree. your fueling will really tank. And I think yeah. I think especially if you're fat adapted, um, if you're fat adapted, it becomes more crucial, and it actually ha- has is a big driver of how many calories you'll need. I think you, if your hydration is on, you need less calories.
1: I agree with that because one of the things I've seen in in the way we're coaching it too is uh, that we're seeing um, if a lot of times people are mistaking uh getting their hydration off like amount to drink per hour and say concentration of sodium and all that they're mistaking the symptoms of dehydration or with food with calories with and then they try to push a bunch of calories but then they're off on their sodium concentration and then they get then they can't absorb the food and then they're not processing the food and so then we got gi stress and then you you're basically just throwing like you know you're throwing more dry wood on a fire and making the fire bigger instead of instead of you know controlling it and and i think there's a lot of mistakes that happen when it comes to um, race nutrition that people mistake that they need more calories or they're not getting enough calories per hour when they actually aren't getting enough they're not dialing in their hydration and their electrolyte balance.
0: Totally agree with you and it's it's I think that that I totally agree because when your hydration is spot on especially with the electrolytes and the sodium you need less calories and I think what happens is people what you're saying I'll say just another, no, another way people mistake that for a hunger trigger because they're craving salty food. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, another couple of points to kind of add to what you're saying. I'm totally in agreement with that 2015 Western States study. It is it is beyond. It is beyond misguided. I think the intentions are good, but, you know, the fact telling people that for a 100 mile race, especially when it's in the heat and you don't need supplemental sodium, I mean, your plasma volume is controlled by sodium. Yeah. And that's where
1: I, that's where I really get frustrated. Cause I, I was there two years ago. I didn't go last year, but um, two years ago when I was helping you with the booth and I, that's one of the things I noticed that they're still pushing the medical staff, still pushing at the pre-race check-in and saying, you, you don't need to supplement sodium. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head. I'm like, you're putting people in danger right now.
0: Yes. Yes. You know? I mean, it's, Especially if it's a, and cause yeah, it's like, that's a basic thing. If you're sweating, you're losing sodium, sodium controls, extracellular fluid. And it's like, you know, once you start get, getting depleted on sodium and you exhaust your liver and bone uh, reservoirs, you'll start to pull potassium out of your cells. And that's when things go to hell in a handbasket. So,
1: and you don't you, usually see that start till about eight to 12 hours in. You start right. to see that them get that's when you see people really crater is somewhere in the eight to 12 hour range and they start to have some symptoms and starting to feel bad and they're starting to their blood volume dropping and then then you're putting, or them, they're, they're or, actually or putting them in yeah or they're feeling
0: wor- worse right they're probably probably by about three to three to four hours in they're probably is subpar but they're not like cratering right
1: yeah yeah and then, exactly
0: yeah yeah, and yeah. the other thing—the other thing that's probably good for you to know about waterlogged—is that was written before Tim had his epiphany about carbs.
1: Interesting. So, I didn't. I didn't know. I I couldn't yeah. remember when that was written, but
0: yeah, that's something key for you to know because when you when you if if you if you understand that if you knew that you now you understand the frame of why how yeah. it was written. So, of course, yeah. that's all changed now so yeah and even
1: the issn is recommending 600 800 milligrams of sodium per liter drink rate right
0: right did you hear what you know um i don't know if you're, if jesse told you this but you know what leona divide this last year oh no i didn't hear 21 grams he took in
1: of sodium yes wow yeah, that's yeah why I he and I have been having some, he had some, he definitely had some issues in the, in the last, like probably hundred K of that race, um, with the system, water weight retention and stuff like that. He and I have had some, a couple of calls since then just to chat through like how to remedy it. Um, he, he definitely was not taking enough sodium later in the race. Yes.
0: Yeah, you took a. lot. But while. it's hard because,
1: especially if you're if you're detaching sodium intake from your drink rate, meaning you're and trying your to take it in. An e- and if you don't have those together in a two hundred, you when you're sleep deprived, you can't even remember the last time you took a pill. You're like, deprived. did I just take a salt tab or did I? Was that like two hours ago? You know, you're like, your short term memory's out the window, and it, that's the one thing I experienced um, at Moab was just that detach of like reality of like when i took something and couldn't remember even if i took something 15 minutes ago i could have taken a salt pill and s cap 15 minutes ago and i wouldn't even remembered so i've changed my strategy to tie it to my drink rate now so my yeah. sodium's mixed with my with my tailwind so like the caloric my my baseline carb calories in the race are mixed with extra sodium to to equal how much i need per liter and so then I don't even have to think about it.
0: So you're you're Except. adding
1: you're adding extra sodium on top of the sodium that's in the tailwind. right? In tailwind, into yeah. the mix. Yep, exactly. Yep. To go with the leader drink rate, and then I all I have to do is worry about my drink rate per hour, depending on sweat right. rate and heat.
0: And so and so, this is important for the audience to understand: is you got to there's when you're doing exercise in warm to hot to super hot conditions, the because so because hydration is so dynamic, that sodium level can go through the roof. And because of the cultural mindset of sodium, you have to watch your sodium levels. People don't realize how much sodium they need, right? And then yeah, the other thing- mine,
1: mine stays consistent per liter drink rate. Now, in really hot conditions, I might bump it up maybe 200 milligrams per liter or something like that, not a ton. But I take in about a thousand milligrams per liter drink rate of sodium. That's um, right on
0: point. That's right. We see anywhere from eight hundred to fifteen hundred. A bigger guy will be that fifteen hundred. Like I, I, when I yeah. did Western States, when I did Western States in two thousand six, I during the heat of the day, I was taking in like fifteen hundred. Or- well, and this
1: is where this is where the precision hydration medical test. So this, I don't know if you know the background of this, but the precision hydration test, they've they've trained people to give the test. So independent contractors are giving the test, and what it is is it's a briefcase test. It's a patented test that was a three thousand dollar medical test. Now it's like a two or three hundred dollar briefcase test, but it's the same test, and it's a coil that goes on your arm. There's a solution in a, in a tube and a coil and you sweat into that solution. It pulls it up into the tube on this coil on your arms about a 20 minute sits on your arm for about 20 minutes and makes you sweat underneath it. It pulls that sweat up into it and then they pull it out with a syringe and run it through a machi- this briefcase machine. And that converts the millimoles per liter of sodium concentration into milligrams per liter. And, that mili- and then that gives you a, a milligrams per liter reading. Um, and then that gives you a unique... Concentration of sodium per liter sweat rate for you. And we're seeing outliers as low as 200 milligrams per liter and as high as 2400 milligrams per liter. So we have big outliers. And in my cohort of athletes, I've had probably 80% of my people get tested, and we have 600 to 1950, right? The average is 900. But the, but the, we have outliers at 13 14 1500 1900 those kind of people if they're taking six or eight hundred milligrams of sodium per liter they're not even close and they're going to have horrible races after 12 hours in a hot race because they're they're going to be putting themselves in a in a hyponatremic state
0: yeah yeah it it's kind of a moving target because you do have a a pretty big reservoir of of sodium in your liver uh and that's that's one of the reasons why I tell people, do not prehydrate because most people, you know, th- that whole mantra of prehydration where people drink a ton of water 48, 24 hours before, all you're doing is 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 tapping into that reservoir that you're, and then you're not going to have it on. Race yes, day.
1: that's a really, I think that's a really good point, Peter, because that's, that's pushed around a lot to prehydrate. Now, if you're, I do agree with prehydrating if you're doing it with electrolytes, if you're doing it with sodium, because like, for example, like products like, you know, LM, element or LMNT or, or, or relight, which neither one of those have calories, right. But they're high in their high sodium concentration, um, electrolyte drink. So it's like a powder you're putting in your water. So it's going to mineralize your water. So we, we are actually, we, we have people pre hydrate, but meaning they load sodium a little bit. So they're pre loading a little bit of sodium. So you might retain a little water right before the race, but but that's okay. You know, who cares if you gain one pound before the race, if, if it's going to be a hot race, because you're going to lose that at some point during the race just because it's so hot. So we will have people, you know, do a little bit of concentration loading of sodium per liter um, when they're drinking that water, but not over consuming water.
0: Yeah. I've got, I've actually got a better, better system. And you, you'll be very familiar with it because I was talking with one, uh, I think I was talking to Peter the other day about this. It's it's what I tell people is two nights out from a race, medium rare steak and a loaded baked potato, night before. Yep. Uh, two bowls of miso soup and sushi to satiation. Okay. Because
1: that's that's so, a
0: so the two so bowls is a of, really
1: high high sodium,
0: right. high sodium
1: soup, right?
0: Right. And then and then the so the 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 fish has a lot of sodium in it too because that's what helps keep fresh sushi fish so plus you get the resistance charge of the sushi rice right yeah, so it's, it's yeah. a good way to kind of do a do a strategic carb and bolus with some sodium and enjoy yourself you know and not yeah, not right. not break not not break the bank because i to- tell people just eat enough sushi to where you're satiated not just you know not like we did that one day in, in last year after the testing at <laughs> that all you can eat sushi
1: place yeah exactly
0: right cool. right so and like i said the other thing that, that's real key to coach people and i learned this the hard way because i i've got my my sweat i can hydrate i because i've been doing it for years i made the mistakes but like at western States when i did it it was a year it got super hot right that was the year only half the f- field finish where uh morrison uh collapsed oh, yeah. on the yep. track yep. right right yep. he was because yep. he he got this hydration right 2006 and what happened to me was, you know, I was doing like 1500, 2000 milligrams of sodium an hour in the heat cause it got up to 115, 118. I think Miller's defeat recorded 115 or 118. And I was going through there in the middle of the day and then through the canyons. And I was just like, you know, 48, 60 ounces out of water an hour and right. just pounding four or five S caps. And I had no problems. But then what happened was when the heat broke, um, and that happened about at the river crossing, really. It was like, I, I was still like, as it got dark and the heat broke, I was still thirsty. So I was still, it took a couple hours for that thirst trigger to, to, to readjust, you know, and I'd picked up yep. by the time I got to ALT, I picked up five pounds of water weight. Right. And, and I was like peeing every 10 minutes. <laughs> it was like. You know, I started yeah. to pee it off. But but the other thing that people don't realize is when you pick up that kind of water weight, you know, the balls of your feet, you have that, you know, yeah, that swelliness. All of a sudden you're prone to blisters.
1: Oh, yeah, right? yeah. That's a big one in 200s. That's one thing we've been working through with 200 coaching is not overhydrating at night and adjusting drink rate when the temps drop because otherwise you're just, you'll, you like you said, you're going to retain a bunch of water and then you have a bunch of like, Fluid in the tissue, and then you're going to get That's big right. fluid-filled fluid. blisters in your feet.
0: That's exactly right. It, it, well, it promotes the blisters, and then when you get the blisters, you get the fluid filling, and it's just a yep. mess. So it's it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's really important that when, as soon as you note the heat breaking, you got to realize your body's going to tell you you still need to drink a lot, but you got to say, oh, got to back off on this.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. So yeah. it's it's pretty interesting, and I'm glad we. I mean. I didn't expect this to get into a talk on hydration but i'm glad we did because people people need to know about this
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and we, I, you know we, we've got we're doing it not only were we per, personally we've been promoting the the getting this test but just to see what your concentration is per liter of sweat but then we're also the other piece of the puzzle and <clears throat> we're having people do the scale like the home digital scale test where you're going to weigh you'd weigh yourself without any clothes on you you know you know you know weigh yourself without any clothes on record the weight, record the temperature outside, go run for 1 hour aerobic, don't pee, don't drink, come back, towel off, sweat off, take your clothes off and weigh again and then record the loss. And so that's going to be your loss at those temperatures. So we're having people chart from like 30 degrees to 100 degrees and at least get three data points so you can extrapolate the data to other temperatures every 10 to deg- 5 or 10 degrees and then people can like look at the high and the low of the forecasted race window and and get a ballpark guess of what they need to consume per hour, how much, how much liquid they need to. So, and that gets it even more dialed to the individual, because what we found by doing that, we're finding people who like, for example, I lose at 55 degrees, I lose 750 milliliters. Right? So, but I have an athlete in Fort Collins, for example, that at the same temperature loses a liter and a half. He loses double what I lose. So he has to drink double what I do at 55 degrees because it's very unique to the individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to do that too where I'd have somebody weigh themselves in the morning, go do their run, weigh themselves after and then also look at how many how much they drank. And yeah. you know, you're talking about like 7 to 9 to 11 pounds of difference. <clears throat> it's yeah. it's it's pretty it, it really brings things into perspective. And people have to understand that that's not just water weight, that's fluid weight, which means you need the electrolytes to be able to transit that water from through the digestive tract, into your body, and then out through sweat. Right. Right, right. And, and, and people just don't realize just how, you know, much the, they can put out, you know, in, in a thing. And, and yeah, we have this reserve, but like you say, you once you get deep into an ultra, that's when things go really wrong right
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah, yeah. so so um there was one other thought I, I had for this whole hydration matrix and it just escaped me <laughs> um but i'm glad
1: we're we, talking we covered it pretty it. fully yeah, yeah yeah what else yeah. You, what else you want to talk about let's move on to so, another subject because okay. i think we kind of kind of we, that we comes up i'll, I'll mention it yeah. Well, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, if it's, if it comes back to you, we can, we can bounce back if it to needs, it. If
0: it needs it, it's, it's one that needs to it because it's one of the big it's, it's, you know, like in race, it's, it's as big, if not bigger a factor uh, for a fat adapted athlete than the nutrition side. Right.
1: Well, yeah. Once you're fat adapted, you don't need that many calories per hour. So hydration well, well, like, and electrolyte balance becomes one of your most important. And I feel like it's your Achilles heel. Like it, if you don't, that's the one thing you can blow in a race. And and you're really not gonna, it's hard to come back from something like that because once you get way, way, way behind, it's hard, it takes a long time to dig back out of it.
0: That's absolutely true. It, it goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, once you've depleted your sodium and you start pulling potassium out of your cells, because so, sodium c- control is the main electrolyte that controls extracellular fluid balance. Potassium is the main electrolyte that controls intercellular fluid balance, and what will happen is when you start getting low on so- sodium and, and to a depleted level, you'll start pulling potassium out of your cells and that's when things go really bad and it takes hours to to recover from that's when that starts to occur if you just get a little depleted on sodium, you can replace the sodium really quickly and bounce right back. But if you get to the point of pulling starting to pull potassium out of your cells, then it gets really bad, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and so that's kind of where we were and i just had that thought again i lost it again (laughs) kind of slips in and out (laughs) Uh, but it was it was germane to that because um gosh what was that um oh man yeah these are the kind of thing this is my life so let's um let's talk about your story because one of the reasons i wanted to have you on the podcast was to talk about longevity I mean, we're like I say, whether we all know it, whether we know it or not, every one of us is signed up for this ultra called life.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Doesn't matter who yep. you are. And we want to kind of we all kind of want to play it out as long as we can, as good as we can. Um, and people don't realize that. And and both of us have been in this sport. How long? When did you start ultra running? Uh,
1: 2001. So okay. tw- this is 23. Tw- uh this coming season 2024 will be my 24th season running ultras
0: okay very cool i'm around
1: around 200 200 ultras now 200 ultra finishes and
0: and i started trail running right about that time and got into ultras maybe in a year after that so we've been in it for a long time and what in endurance sports what's been i think we can both agree we we've seen these people come onto the scene whether it's in ultra running or triathlon and they're like unbeatable phenoms for two, three seasons. And then all of a sudden they're off, off, they're out and they're plagued with injuries, depression, anxiety, um, chronic issues start popping up. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll be able to hold on for five years, um, and five or seven years. And, and, but then they just kind of disappear and it's, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty clear to me because I'm looking at this on a deep dive cellular level uh, that it, a lot of it has to do with the metabolic damage that you can't. You know, you can't run. You can't run from it if you're on a high carbohydrate diet. And and with this current um, push now with these new formulations of gels and other liquid nutrition products, etc., to push more calories per hour. I think. Tom Evans was talking about, he was pushing 140 grams an hour during Western States this year. And that's very typical now in cycling and triathlon on the bike. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're saying like on the bike, they've effectively in the last five years been able to double what their consumption is. And the, you know I'm, I'm thinking about this and yeah, I have a bias towards this fat metabolism, but it's just based on some really basic scientific facts that what they're doing is sheer madness. And so I think your story is pretty relevant because you started this in the early 2000s. And then why don't you give us a lead up to where you were And you know, you were at a crossroads in 2015.
1: Yeah. 50, I mean, the first 15 years in the sport, I was high carb athlete. Um, I, I did eat, you know, organic whole foods mostly, but I was still eating a lot of, um, you know, grains, um, sugar, uh baked products you know stuff like that still as part of that even though it was organic um but it uh you know i was pushing a lot of carbs per day um you know the typical 60% plus carbohydrate diet and um in 2015 i i definitely had some health issues um it, it ended up being uh you know candida issues like yeast overgrowth in the gi tract um at least that's our best guess. We don't have an exact diagnosis, but that's our best diagnosis through a naturopath. Um, and what I found was um, it. It uh, I got to the point where I was pretty desperate at, at the end of the season of 2015, and I I was desperate to try to figure out this issue um, that was causing issues, and I was about to you know I was talking about quitting actively racing um in ultras and uh, you know i was 44 years old and and frustrated and didn't know what to do and um i started doing some research online and i i came across um a you know in about a a week's worth of time i probably was researching three or four hours a day every night my kids were in bed by eight o'clock i would research till midnight every night yeah so i pushed away from this this week of research understanding that i needed to starve the candida because it was a yeast it needed to be starved of sugar so i needed to figure out i needed to to one quit i had to go low carb um you know to to deal with this issue and to see if i could put it in remission so i i really um stepped back away from that my wife was on board to do it too and um so we just immediately started cutting things out um i called zach bitter um, kind of started talking to him because I, he and I had chatted about this before, um, at an outdoor retailer show where we'd gone down a run together and he, t- he actually put me in contact with you and that's how we were introduced. Um, and we started, you know, chatting and you kind of mentored me in what, in the direction I started reading at the time you had a, um, is b- before you redesigned your website and you had a really robust resources area on fat adaptation And when I got a hold of like, okay, this could help with possibly help with performance. Um, And this was like two years. This was two years after um, the FASTER study um, from 2014. So I had that study to reference as well. And so that got me kind of focused on, okay, if I do this, not only is it going to help my candida and my health, it's going to help. It might help my performance. And so... It, that was a really cool mental moment where I was like kind of mentally in. Like I was all in on it and I was like, okay, I'm gonna give this a, a legit shot. Like I'm gonna try it. Let's see. And, and, it, and it put the candida in remission right away. So it, it worked, man. The first like two weeks in, I was like in, like I had no problems. I wasn't having any kind of like symptoms anymore. What um, about
0: what about the first couple of days? <laughs> <laughs> the first couple of days sucked. Um, we want, we saying, don't want to lie to people about this. No,
1: and, and I have to say that, like, if you're if you've been on a high carb diet and all of a sudden, and your body's only looking for that glucose pathway, all of a sudden you starve it of glucose. It takes you know two or three weeks to really kick that fat metabolism on. Right. That's that's kind of our dormant pathway from our hunter-gatherer days and our seasonal eating days and it so a,
0: but it's substance withdrawal for the carb
1: addict. yeah it really is a, it's, it is a withdrawal and and so i felt pretty gnarly for about 10 days um in hindsight you know day eight to ten i started to come out of that haze a little bit and i noticed like hey i'm starting to have like sustained energy during the day like where i, I wasn't having those afternoon crashes um where i was looking for you know a, a you know bagel or something, and and I really, really did um, start to see the only thing I I had, you know, I, because of the candida issue, I couldn't, I was in actively training for hurt 100. So I was like seven weeks out when I shifted when I started cutting carbs out. And, um, and so I went pretty hardcore, I did some really bad, three, four hour, five hour long runs with hardly any calories. And I was trying to eat, at the time, I was trying to eat fat, because I was trying to still starve the candida. Right. So I was trying to manage that and do long runs. And of course, you know, eating fat on a long run doesn't work very well. And, uh, and so I, you know, but then after, uh, after, you know, four weeks in, I really started to feel better. And that's when we started bringing back just a small IV drip of carb calories just in liquid form. <laughs> I think at the time I was using goo roctane or something, but, um,
0: it was Goo Brew,
1: I think, at that point in time. Yeah, was it probably it? was Goo Brew back then. And I was using that, and then I, I, and I felt good, you know, that s Caps, and um and I kept it pretty low. Like I went really low on my calories per hour because of the Candida, right? I didn't want to overload my system with sugar, even on once a week on long runs. So I was and I was doing a lot of fasted. I was doing some fasted morning runs. Um, I was doing some like two to two and a half, three hour runs on just Vespa and water and s caps um and so i started playing around with, with vespa um at that time as well and was really having great workouts and you know like four or five weeks in i was like i was feeling great i was like because i had tried excuse me in the early days before this happened back go back to like 2012 2013 those times when when you're getting rumors of like Tony Kaprichka and, um, and some of those guys, those young guys on the scene were going on like, you know, hardly any gels, you know, they're hitting like two gels on like a, you know, 25 mile run. And I was like, I tried to go out and do a two hour run. I remember a couple of times trying to go out and do it when I was a carb athlete, trying to go say, okay, I want to try to, you know, burn fat at a little higher rate and encourage my fat metabolism. This was like early days um before i even talked to you but i had heard about them doing that and that's when
0: you're yeah that's when like bob siebohar was pushing the metabolic flexibility program
1: and so i went out and tried to run a few runs like two hours and i was cratering it like an hour and a half you know like my body was like hey i need carbs now or you know i remember walking home from a couple of workouts um or jogging really, really slow and feeling like crap, and going home and laying on the floor, and and being and asking my wife like, oh, "Jen, get me a banana," you know, and um, I'm like, "I'm bonking really bad," and so, so I had I had, had that experience, and then all of a sudden, now I'm running, you know, two and a half, three hours, and and doing a strong finish, and feeling great, on just like, of CV vest of a CV 25 before the two-hour run, you know, and stuff like that. And, and just S caps and water. And so feeling awesome. And I really was like, but I was still apprehensive going into that first race, you know, like uh, hurt 100 in, in, in 2016. So January, this would have been mid January of 2016. And I went there with a ton of gels. Cause I used to do about 300 to 400 calories an hour push of gel per hour. I would do 65 to 75 gels in a hundred miler. And I think the most I ever did was like seventy five, and um, and so I I went there with like all these gels and all my drop bags. My crew had them, but I was planning on doing like you know max two hundred calories per hour. But I had this as a backup plan because I'd never raced on at, at, on OFM, and I, and I was I was nervous about it. I have to admit, I was very very nervous. And and this and so Jesse Haynes was. Helping me crew and my buddy George. George, however, got sick right before the race. He got food poisoning from a food cart and from a taco truck. And and so he and he 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 still to this day was like, dude, that was a sign that I was supposed to go OFM. So (laughs) so both him and Jesse, after this experience, went, they both went OFM after that. And they've never they've gone OFM ever since. They've been on OFM since right like a month basically two months after i did it um because they they were both at hurt and jesse ended up crewing for me instead of george because george was down food poisoning so so jesse is like crewing for me and 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 he had crewed for me before at san diego 100 and so he and we were friends and he knew what i looked like and when i showed up in in hawaii he was like, dude, what did you do? Cause my, I had changed. Like I was leaner. I was, you know, I, I, I had lost, you know, I was way more ripped just cause I'd lost extra weight. I, I didn't have all that. I didn't have the carb water weight, <laughs> you know, that you have on a high carb diet. And I was way leaner and I was having trouble. I have to say in, at 44 at that time, I was having trouble getting down to my race weight and doing the things I used to do where I used to get down, you know, you, you fluctuate a lot when you're on a high carb diet, especially the older you get. Like if you're not in big volume, you're gonna gain five, six pounds and then you're gonna drop it again, right? When you're in big volume training right before the race. But I was having trouble getting down to my original lean body weight that I used to be able to race at. And so, but all of a sudden I went below that. I was like below that as far as weight goes. And, and I looked different too. I had to buy all new jeans, everything. i my waist, my waist size went down three, three inches. Um during that time. I got down to like my high school lean, lean weight. And and so uh anyway, after that experience, I didn't I needed, you know, I think I did less than, you know, 20 22 hours. I did like maybe twenty five hundred calories or something. And I didn't do very many calories at all. And um it you worked. Won the the whole- you were,
0: you were in the race.
1: And I won the race and I felt great. And even afterwards. I think this still, this still like stands out to me more than anything. And I, and, and, and I kind of want to talk on a little rabbit trail here about this in a second, but cause this is my own theory, but, and, and I don't know if, if I have anything to fully back it up, but, but one of the things that I noticed was the recovery afterwards, because I had had at that point, 22 hundreds under my belt finishes quite a few wins. And I, I was always inflamed after the race, like just swollen cankles, you know, like swollen knees, achy knees. I had to wear compression. I had to sleep in compression because I, because I ballooned up. I was eating a ton of carbs, you know, during that time, which, and, and so I was burning only glucose, you know, as <laughs> a fuel substrate during my old, my old self was. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm getting done with this race and I hardly have any swelling. Like I am. Because we go to the pre the post race you know the party you know Hurt has a really cool party on Monday night, you know the race is on Saturday morning, starts on Saturday morning. I finished on Sunday morning like 3 a.m. and then on Monday evening there's a party. Well normally I would be super inflamed still and like limping around, and and everyone else was you know, um, but I was like oh my gosh I feel great. I was doing air squats and burpees you know, on Monday and I was feeling great. I was taking pictures of my ankles and my knees and texting it to my wife and being like, oh my gosh, look at, I'm not even swollen and I'm not even sore, you know? And so that was like a really cool moment for me, like that the recovery was like huge, like the recovery. And I've seen that in all the OFM athletes we've coached over the years now, you know, it's the same feedback, especially if they have, Of hundreds or two hundreds or, or like the, the inflammation after a race, they're always like, oh my gosh, like this is, I'm like back in half the time I used to be, you know? And so that, that's a, that's consistent across the board, right? One of the things you and I have talked about over the years is that like, you know, we're doing, we're doing less oxidative stress, right? Because we're burning fat, right? But one of the things I think too, I think the other thing that's really important to understand And this comes out of the exogenous ketone studies right that when we're using they're seeing in these exogenous ketone studies that when we're burning ketones as a fuel substrate that we're getting faster recovery and we can handle more work right so recovery benefit and mental clarity and acuity is one of the byproducts of burning ketones well then that makes me think okay on ofm we're producing our natural ketones we don't have to drink exogenous ketones right but it's 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 it's, we're burning our own ketones all the time and we're always in a low level of ketosis right or we're knocking ourselves slightly out for maybe a day or two you know and during a long run we have a bunch of some carbs and strategic carbs and then and then we're like right back into low level ketosis again you know in and out of it we're hovering in and out of it on OFM, right so sometimes we're in ketosis sometimes we're not right? But we're still producing ketones and we're burning ketones and our body knows how to use that substrate all the time. And I think that's an important piece of OFM is that we are actually producing free ketones, right? Yeah, it not cost the, not the
0: expensive exogenous <laughs> <laughs> so ones,
1: yeah. No, no, I, do, I would, I, I'll, I will divulge. I use exogenous ketones in racing and in long run still some, I use them strategically, but I don't use them before because I don't want to even though they tell you to, I don't as an OFM athlete and I don't coach my OFM athletes this way. If they're a high carb athlete, then I will tell them to take exogenous ketones before they start a race or a long run. But if they're an OFM athlete, I say, okay, maybe one, sort one serving in the middle of the long run. And then one afterwards to just to bump that ketones way up in your blood, but just to help with recovery, because you're going to get a higher surge because you've had carbs, but I don't have them taken before. So I have them, I I coach my OFM athletes a little different in how they use exogenous ketones. And I do think, I would say, and, and people ask me this all the time, and I have athletes ask me this that I coach. Okay, if you're gonna pick between ketones and VESPA, which would you pick? I say VESPA, because we've seen in our studies, VESPA bumps your fat oxidation rate up. And if you're gonna, I want my fat oxidation rate bumped up as high as possible during an endurance event. So I think if you're going to pick one over the other, I would pick Vespa first, then exogenous ketones. But I do think ketones have a place to, to mix into training and as a, as a fuel substrate. Um, because the studies definitely do back up, especially if you're carb athlete. I think the combination of Vespa and ketones are a great combo to use. But that's what I wanted to kind of say. I, I, I wanted to go off on that rabbit trail on ketones because... I think because OFM, we're, we're producing ketones and we're teaching our body to like tap into our natural converting fatty acids into key, blood ketones. I think that's a really important piece of this, this recovery benefit that you're seeing. I think that's one of the key pieces. That
0: you're exactly right. Let me, let me, let's go down that rabbit hole some more. Okay. Sure. So, so you're, you're absolutely right. When you're fat adapted, your liver can produce all the ketones you need it can also produce what people don't know is it also can produce a significant amount of glucose not glycogen but glucose it'll convert it will that the liver with the right hormonal signaling it will produce Fuel substrate to meet the metabolic need. So if you're just if you're droning along, even at a high level, like 75, 80 percent, like where guys like you and Peter can drone along all day at race pace, you're producing a ton of ketones and enough glucose to meet the metabolic need. But most because glucose for aerobic energy, glucose and ketones are, are just considered interchangeable. And I, I think that actually when everything's right your body prefers the ketones over the glucose they say you know how they tell you glucose is your preferred energy source absolute bs
1: i think so too i agree okay. with you on that okay now the, i there's, think ketones are a preferred fuel substance actually
0: actually actually beta oxidation is your fuel preferred ketones are a byproduct of, of
1: beta, of beta, beta oxidation, oxidation. Yeah, right, right. And that, yeah
0: all these ketone manufacturers their, their papers are structured to promote ketones but you're you know it's like our bodies are making ketones all the time but ketones are a relatively unstable molecule and and you in most metabolic pathways in the liver and in other parts of our bodies they're spontaneously converted to something else or used as an energy substrate because they're so unstable, beta-hydroxybutyrate is the most stable, and it's it's relatively unstable. There's a couple other forms of ketones. Cause like, like, like breast milk is made from ketones. It's ketones, cholesterol, breast milk, and and that's that's one of the reasons why. Like like this is a separate rabbit hole, but it's relative to the conversation. It's like you know they have a medical term called the 4fs it's called female fat fertile 40 and and it leads to gallbladder issues and and women athletes also lose their gallbladder if they're high high carb because what happens is women are fat burning machines because their job is to make another life i mean biologically i'm not trying to talk but but biologically that's their role is and so gestation they're making a lot of ketones to make a lot of cholesterol to make a lot of lipoproteins to make another baby, and then when they childbirth, they're making a lot of ketones to make a lot of cholesterol to make a lot of breast milk, and they're all yeah. Women are
1: from- definitely be- better fat burners than men. Like they yeah. they go they go into ketosis quicker.
0: If yeah, if you get all the things right, um, they're they're fat burning machines. So
1: I think that's one of the reasons that k- chronic keto in the in women messes with their thyroid and their hormones really quickly a lot quicker than men like men can be chronic keto longer than women can most of the time at least in my experience of coaching um i've had women when they're when they've been really 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 low carb for too long which we've seen a lot in this camp the the, the chronic keto camp um where they stay keto all, all the time and they're they never signal to their body that there's you know where, where OFM is strategic carbohydrate use. Like we're bringing in those carbs with effort and volume and we're sometimes bringing it up to 150 to 200 grams a day depending on training volume or more. Yeah. On during training volume. So, um, I think that's an important point to make too, to call out for the the ladies listening out there that, that you don't be chronic keto. You know, you can use ketogenic diet strategically as a tool, but don't use it all the time.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing. Ketosis High ketosis is is really OFM because if you're chronic keto, chronic keto is what I call an efficient, a highly efficient state. It's a conservation yeah. state. And if you yeah. try to be, in, if, you're in that, if you're in that conservation state, and you try to push yourself, you're going to start to dig yourself an adrenal hole, and then that leads to exactly the problems you're talking about, especially with females because hormonal balance is so so tightly regulated. And then all of a sudden, you you know. The thyroid's trying to push more, but it isn't there, so it pushes harder, and it's even more there, and you start digging this hole of adrenal stress. So, so absolutely, and 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 actually, what people don't realize is it's sort of a yin yang sort of thing, where you know yin yang is is the duality of opposites, right? Opposite things have to co- really coexist to be in harmony and for optimal. It's like like you need carbs. To be able to draw, be able to have that push to get the adaptive stress, so your body adapts to get better at burning fat. And then when you burn fat, when you can get your burn fat burn up to the levels we're seeing, which are uh, literally change the paradigm of, of energy. Um, when you get yourself up to that high aerobic metabolic fat burning state, without downregulating access to your PDH, so you can take the carbs. Then all of a sudden, your high fat, your ability to burn fat, can be converted into a bur- ability to burn sugar for those real high level performances.
1: Yeah,
0: right. Because you have yeah. the aerobic capacity to burn sugar at a real high rate. Because you have to. People don't understand. You have to burn for the ATP production. You need twice the oxygen per ATP on beta oxidation, as you do for ketose ketones or glycolysis, and so when you get to the super high threshold stuff and above, that's when you can, that's when all of a sudden that ability to move that much oxygen to burn fat, if that all goes to glucose, all of a sudden you can burn a ton of glucose, which means you can develop a huge amount of energy for like that really high level performance. And people don't understand that part and they don't want to talk about it.
1: Right.
0: Cause it's, it's not, you know, we're going down the rabbit holes. It's not straightforward and simple. It's, it's it's kind of it's kind of complicated and contrary to to what people think. Um, you know it's like like I say when you look at a perfect example is competitive swimming, right? The events are like boom, glycolytic. Right. Right? Perfectly like but how does a how does a swimmer get to that level where they're competitive? It's hours of looking at the black line on the bottom of a pool building their aerobic capacity and that's all done on fat you know and same thing with all these canyon runners um and people don't want to talk about that so let's go back um so i guess we went down the rabbit hole so you got beta oxidation you have ketones and you have glucose and what you're talking about there is exactly correct i mean you don't have the oxidative stress burning a lot of sugar you don't have the lactate load because once you once you're once you start burning a lot of sugar and you your lactate load uh, surpasses your lactate clearance, and you start to accumulate lactate in the blood, then all of a sudden you got a lot of monk, metabolic monkey motion to buffer the acidity, right? Right, right, yeah. Because, so it, it just gets, you know, it, and that's everything to do with recovery, but the point I'll make here that should be an aha moment for everybody, is the recovery isn't that you recover faster? It's because you prevented the damage in the first place,
1: and right? We've been yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, and right. I think that I think that's an interesting that's an interesting point that came out of like the exogenous ketone studies. There was one where they they were, um, and I'll paraphrase this study, but it's basically it was a they were trying to put people in an overreaching st- state it was cycling and they were doing basically simulating a grand tour over three weeks. So by week three, they were trying to put them in an, in an overreaching state. And so they're doing double workouts every day. They were doing hard, sometimes back to back, um, VO two max type workouts and tempo type workouts to try to put these athletes in, in the control group, you know, in the placebo group and the control and the, in the, uh, uh, ketone group. And one of the things that they found was by week three, the ketone group could do 50% more work than the, than the, than the placebo group or the carb group. Right. So, so the norm, the placebo group, I should say, not the carb group. That, so I, I think that's an interesting point to cut that came out of like, just this, these exogenous ketone studies. And, and when we're talking it in the context of OFM, when we're producing our own ketones for free, again, it's yep. free. You just have to be a little disciplined in your lifestyle, um, and, and pick the right foods to eat. But the the cool thing is, and, and and ebb and flow your carbs according to effort and volume. What's really cool about that is that that's why we're seeing like being able to most like, like OFM athletes be able to bounce back, right? Bounce back and do another big event, bounce back, do another big event, adapt to that stress, bounce back, do another big event, you know? Um, Yeah, you're
0: you're actually essentially like I I look at your 2015 hard rock to your 2016 hard rock. When I looked at those on ultra sign up, you were basically going from event recovering and peaking to the next event. You were doing something every six or seven weeks big.
1: Yeah, that was we were talking about that 20, 2021 yeah. to 2022 i think
0: yeah tw- yeah yeah t- excuse me 2020
1: yeah yeah 20, so yeah, this would six, have been yeah this would have been my 50s <laughs> right right you know, right right like, right 2050 years was, old
0: but you you did you did like 15
1: uh, i know, mean, mean look at this year peter i had a yeah. huge season had yeah. eight ultras now i did have kind of like a doink at the very end at bear with the fall Um, And bruised my quad and had to drop at bear, but I was on pace. Like I was on pace to be in the mix for the podium at that race in my 600 of the year and my eighth ultra and, and only three weeks after Wasatch. So like in context, I had five wins in ultras in 2023, like at 52 years old. I'm I'm yeah. bouncing back and racing again and again right. and again and again. Hard efforts, pushing hard. We had to race race hard. So, in multiple of those races where it was throwdowns with other guys, yeah. um, for the win, and 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 I was able to bounce back and race again. It wasn't just finishing; it was racing.
0: Yeah, just like and, Jesse. Jesse did it. Moab 240. Right, right. He was he he had to dig to 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 win that race.
1: Yeah man that 200s are so hard
0: (laughs) no they're hard they're hard on everybody I crew I crewed crewed in pace at Tahoe and Moab in 2017 and I'm like oh man this is brutal
1: (laughs) they are brutal
0: they are just brutal on everybody but but yeah no the the fact is is yeah in 21 and 22
1: yeah yeah, I think it was 21-22. 20 we were yeah, talking about you, that window yeah, yeah, where actually. I was racing about every five or six
0: weeks. Every five to seven weeks, you were doing something big, whether it was an FKT or a race. And, and you were, you know, you were crushing it. You were, you were on the podium. I think your lowest finish in that was from that hard rock to that hard rock was fifth. And that was hard rock. Yeah. Which is a world stage event. And then other things you were setting the FKT and winning. And this is like, and that's at the age of 50, 51.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think this should be a good segue into longevity because we were going to talk right, about that. But
0: that's that's the point. So, um, let's segue into that. So, up until your you adopted OFM, you were considering giving up competitive ultras in 2015 because you're Candida. How many ultras had you run? How many of you had you won? And then let's go from 2015
1: to now. Oh, you're going to make me pull stats. Uh, Yeah, just guesstimate. Let me guesstimate. Like, okay, I had, before I did my OFM, my 23rd hundred. Was hurt. Was hurt 100. Um, So that was my first race on OFM. Um, And I've been doing OFM ever since. So since basically December of 2015 um i had done about 120 or 30 i want to guess ultras at that point i was over 100 ultras how many Um, hundreds i was 22 at that point now i've done 51 hundreds i have 51 finishes in hundreds 29 wins that's
0: second Uh, behind carl right
1: yeah that's second in the world behind carl Meltzer. how many does carl have 46 or 47. Oh, okay. He has a lot, man. He's like untouchable.
0: Okay, it, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But um and I think uh I'm trying to think who uh anyway, point point being is that um since that point, I've I've probably had more I've had better results <laughs> in my late forties and early fifties than I had be prior to the OFM stuff.
0: And how does Um, it feel in terms of your outside of your training and racing in terms of life lived and all that?
1: I feel great. I mean, I recover fast. I I feel good. Um, Does Jen and
0: your, do Jen and your kids see you as a more jovial person, easier to deal with?
1: I don't know. I, 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 I can be a little cranky sometimes, um, but, uh, but that's probably more habit than it is. Um, you know, I definitely, um, I would say that uh, um, they see the raw side of Jeff a lot because, you know, as like anyone, I guard to the public what I, what I am behind closed doors, meaning sometimes they get to see the honest Jeff at times where I'm like having a, a struggle moment and I'm frustrated or something. And, um, but I'm quick to apologize, you know, in those circumstances. So, but like, but, but overall like lifestyle wise and like the way I feel health wise, um, energy is really good. Um, and, and I race a lot, you know, and, and I I'm in this a lot. So, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't slowed down. I still train hard and, um, I'm still out there a lot and, um, I don't plan on slowing down anytime soon.
0: Well, so. I think to a point, like you said, the last two years, I mean, that that's, this is year six and year seven into your OFM journey, right? So yep. 2016, four, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Well, now we're eight years into it. So the last three years, you've really kind of been sort of, it, it just gets better, even even though you're aging.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, definitely is, I mean, yeah, I feel great, man. I feel like I'm, I mean, I I think I do, I think some of the stuff I've noticed in my fifties is I don't have quite the top end speed I used to have, you know, and turnover, but, but I still am strong and, and I recover fast. And, and I, part of that, you know, you know, part of that's base, part of that's 23 years of consistent training, you know, um, and not really, you know, I, I don't, I've not, I haven't had any major setbacks in a long time besides like weird things like the fall I had a bear and you know, and that was two weeks off from running, but I mean, that's the most I've had in years, two weeks off running. Um, usually even when I take off season, I'm still running a little bit. So, um, and I, and I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to the well either. I think that's an important thing to call out here is even with all this racing and, and, and. You know, I've I've done four, an average of four hundreds a year since 2014. You know, so some years it. I've done five. Sometimes last year I went for six and I got five finishes, but I'm averaging four four hundred milers plus various couple other ultras in there mixed in too. So like six six or seven hundreds, six or seven ultras a year, four of them being hundreds, sometimes three weeks apart, and I'm I'm still not like, I'm still not freighted, you know. Like, I think that's that's a really important piece there. Like, I I still feel like I'm ready to bounce right back and go race again. I'm ready to go race another 100 in January, you know? And I just got done with uh, running basically 5 in 85% of the sixth one. I got 85 miles, so it's almost 100. Um, But, like, eight, eight ultras this year, and now after a little break, I'm, like, ready to roll again, like, mentally too.
0: Well, and, and that doesn't include a lot of runs you do, which are ultra distance.
1: Yeah, and I do big. I mean, I just did rim to rim to rim last weekend, um, you know, and that and and I, I felt great. Bounced right back, turned around, and we did Humphreys the next day, you know, 12-6, summited Humphreys peak. Um, and I did the same thing this week. Or <clears throat> I didn't do rim to rim to rim, but I did the cowboy loop. So I was in the Grand Canyon. I did a hard finish ran the whole climb ran 80 percent, 85 percent of the climb out of south kaibab sure. um yeah and um and felt great and then turned around the next day and and went up humphreys with pete mortimer for his 52nd his 52nd humphrey summit this year um he got 52 and since january 1st you know trying to average one a, one a week for the for the year um and so, like, you know, I and I think that's the great thing. Like, you know, look at Pete, too. Pete bounces right back and, you know, comes back and races again and again and again. <laughs> um,
0: it's, it's it's almost crazy. You, you know, people, I just interviewed him, and I didn't know all the details. But, you know, he, he did man versus horse, was the second guy in the history after Nick to actually beat the beat horses. horses. Right. And, and then he drove to have mcdowell park at Havelina um went and flipped burgers for six hours and then went and paced
1: 20 miles. yeah exactly and they O-F-M. took him yeah yeah, and they- O-F-M. yeah. And, 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 i mean and look at mike mcknight mike mcknight's the same yeah. way like he he had that he had kind of a, a a bad a bad you know spell on the on the azt and <clears throat> Where he got really dehydrated. We this goes back to our hydration conversation. Right. He got really dehydrated in section. It was you know it was a it was a, a, a you know he he kind of uh, the logistics on that section messed with him and and he got really dehydrated and then six hours later he got a he got kind of like a a class two sprain or strain in his quad in his VMO, and which affects you know your knee tracking and your stabilization. And he had to drop out right. Um, but the cool thing about it is OFM, he's like, he's taken three weeks of strength training, like light strength training on his legs and hiking every day. And he's going to start running this next week. And he's ready to run now. Like his body's telling him he's ready to run, but he's giving it one more week just to make sure that it's healed up. But I mean, he's healing up really fast too. And he'll be back running again. And he's already signed up for last man standing across the years at the end of December. You know, he's wow. going to be back racing after doing 300 and some miles on the AZT and having a, a, a tear or like a strain in his VMO, right? Like you heal up fast too. I think that's the other thing that's really important here, you know, that, that as long as we can get our hydration, our electrolyte balance, right. Um, like we were talking about earlier on OFM, that's your Achilles heel. But if you can get those things, right, you're going to bounce right back and be ready to train again. Um, even if you get an injury you're going to heal up from that injury pretty quickly and be like, just like my quad, my quad healed up really quickly. Now. I also like Mike, we called it, you know, we both called it right when we did it. Like when, when the body said, I can't function the way I'm intended to anymore. Right. When it can't load anymore, you call it and you start healing.
0: Well, that that's part of the part of the thing, your, your executive function to make decisions and be present in the moment Unless your hydration gets off, because that's the key. Like you say, it's Achilles heel, right?
1: Achilles heel.
0: Right. It really is. But barring hydration and sleep deprivation, um, your ability to to make decisions. Like I have people say to me, I can do math at the end of a race.
1: Defense. You're burning ketones. Right. That's another, okay. This is a really interesting side note because we were talking about ketones earlier and we've had studies on ketones. And this is where I read between the lines when I'm listening, when I'm, I'm I'm hearing about and reading these studies on ketones, right? Because OFM, we're burning ketones and we're producing ketones. And right, so one of the things that came out of one of the ketone studies, I think is really a side note that's really interesting is they did one in a 100K ultramarathon where they did mental acuity test. And they did the the placebo group and then the ketone group, right? And they gave them a mental acuity test before the 100K and at the end of the 100K. The ketone group at the end of the 100K, they had zero degraded mental acuity. And I can't, I'll paraphrase because I I, don't quote me on this, but I want to say the other group was almost like 25%.
0: You're you're not you're not take, talking to Jason Coop here. <laughs> you're not going to get you're not going to get blasted for not being I, but precise that's exa- about the that's the exact.
1: It's somewhere yeah. in that ballpark. But there so, was a significant reduction. It was reduction. significant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and that I think that's what now they'll put this into context. This is what I'm telling my athletes. This is how you put it in context as an OFM athlete, especially my OFM athletes. Like I I love my OFM athletes. If 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 you're at the end of a technical hundred in the dark running technical terrain you're gonna make less mistakes than the other person because your mental acuity is still there to make good decisions and that's quick quick mental decisions on your footwork and everything else now sometimes you can be stupid like i was at Bear 100 and push during a high risk section um and you know catch a toe and slam and Bruise your quad, no, but I mean, in the context of my career, it's a very rare occurrence, right? That's only my third DNF in 23 years, and all three have been been injuries. So, you know, something where I assess during that race that okay, I'm not functioning anymore. I need to drop out, right? Like the the, the physical function isn't happening anymore, you know, and it's not, I'm not and and I I don't want to do further damage. So that's always been my out injury or life-threatening that's how i drop otherwise if i'm having a bad day suck it up <laughs> and get it done um anyway
0: so okay so let's go down that rabbit hole because the ketone papers is one ketone paper but you know like you say we we produce ketones for free
1: yeah for free right
0: and yeah. and and exogenous ketones have a place just like gels, just like liquid that's yep. those should be looked at as the icing on the cape or the tip of the iceberg because if you're fat adapted because it really is whereas they become the whole iceberg and the whole cake literally when you're carb dependent yeah yeah so, so here's here's where it comes here's a little deeper dive into this whole focus coordination motor skills thing is it goes further than just ketones your, your body's spitting out ketones it'll spit it's going to spit out glucose from the liver um Depending on where you are, you might be starting to use your glycogen and then whatever exogenous stuff you're putting in. But having that base of, of being super high fat adapted, using the Vespa to get you that little higher level of fat adaptation, right? Your, your muscles are just really in a deep state of beta oxidation. So, but you're also producing ketones and like the, the brain and the nervous system run mostly on glucose and ketones. Um, they don't they don't cross, they don't do beta oxidation very well, and so yeah. so what happens is when you're in that deep state of of fat adaptation, you become what I call blood sugar stable because you're not you're not you diverting all that glucose from muscle energy right yeah and so when your blood sugar stable your motor function is good because what happens is when you lose that you like you lose your fine motor skills your focus before you even sense the fatigue. And of yeah. course, in ultras, you sense the fatigue, but everything's lost anyway. But, but we saw this with Alexei Yagudin in 2002, and he was the figure skater who won the gold medal at the, the Salt Lake City Games. But he won every competition he was in, and he was using Vespa. And so, what, but what they found was he was using it for every performance, but where it really counted for him was in practice. Because a men's long program is no more than four minutes. So it's, it, it's, it requires really sharp bursts of strength and super fine motor skills, right? Yeah. And so in practice, one of the jobs of the coach is to watch the skater like a hawk or skaters if they're pairs. Because as soon as they get sloppy, they're off the ice. Right,
1: because that's how you get injured.
0: That's how you get injured or you'll do the move wrong, right? Right. right? So you're
1: not practicing it correctly
0: right right so they they pull him off the ice well what alexei could do was he could train way longer and just get that muscle memory dialed in to where he dominated that year like everything he, he just dominated every competition he, he was in and that's just goes to to that speaks to that thing is like when you when you lose that little bit of blood sugar and starts to waver you've already lost that really high level focus that you're talking about on technical trail or anything, you know, just the ability to make decisions. Um, it just goes like really fast because, and and that's another big part of, of, of this, this, you know, this puzzle, you know, it's, it's, it's crucial. And it's, it's like putting in exogenous ketones at that point. It's just like, just like using the gels and stuff. They're, they're going to help performance. But if you're locked in, if you've got your body locked in physiologically, just adding that little bit of extra, your body's going to want to burn it, and it'll it'll burn it, and it'll give you that performance boost, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, so yeah. So, so this is you know we're we're trying to talk about just this whole thing of of longevity. Now, the other part about that is, is before you made the switch, you know, you, you talk about the candida, but it wasn't just candida. It was like GI issues, stuff like that. Right.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had like energy issues and, um, you know, when I look back now, especially like I've had like energy fluctuation issues during throughout the day, you know, days where I like had trouble with some motivation, uh, stuff like that. So, um, but you know, on on OFM, I, you know, I have pretty stable energy throughout the day. Um, you know, if I'm super busy and I happen to like just be slamming with work or something and I miss a meal, you know, I don't try try not to do that, but occasionally that happens. I, I'm not like, I'm not functioning on half a cylinder. <laughs> I'm, I can actually still function and like perform in, in from a mental perspective as well. So I, I think there's a lot of other benefit, trickle down benefits with OFM that, you know, we we're talking about it from a performance lens, but, and, and, and a longevity lens, but I also like to think about it from like a business performance lens as well, you know, cause I am running a business, a coaching business all day. So, um, I, you know, I have to talk to athletes, you know, throughout the day and, and like troubleshoot and, and help them solve problems and come up with strategies. And, you know, so I need to be on when I'm, when I'm talking and when I'm coaching so um OFM plays into that as well
0: yeah yeah and I think the other thing though is like what I wanted to talk to also is like one of my biggest epiphanies was when I first got when I first made this my day job um some of my early adopters were pukers you know people who had run out of rope like you did in 2015 like John Olson and Jenny Capel and John you know John became the 24 hour world champion in 2013 or 14, I I believe. But anyway, you know, he, he, he was like this really talented runner who was just, his races would get thrown because of his GI issues. Right. And Jenny was having the same problems and then she turned me on to Roxanne. But, but those three people were, were significant at that early time when I made my day job and everybody's just laughing at me. Cause you know, that was the time when it was all about the carbs
1: well and that's the one thing i've seen in my coaching practice as well is ofm especially if someone's coming as a coming in as a who's been throwing up a lot um in races we've been able to like really remedy that the co- combination of electrolytes per liter right sodium per liter like focusing in on sodium per liter for that that athlete and then ofm the two yeah. those two pieces are, of the puzzle really help the, the quote pukers yeah. Um, well, and we, we got
0: that we got them thing, but but for me, I was doing the deep dive and I was like, why is this happening? What's going on here? So I, I looked into the anatomy and physiology textbooks and started to think about what was going on with all this sugar consumption and you know, reactive oxygen species. And and you know what I learned was this whole thing with your epithelial cells that line your digestive tract, because your your digestive tract the lining of that's made up of epithelial cells which form what they call villi and villi is like this shag like a brand new shag carpet yeah but i i i, I liken it to a like a tropical rainforest canopy and so you have this 100 foot canopy but when you have this big canopy you can house a really rich and diverse bio and what what was happening to these people is they were literally burning that rainforest down over time and i think that that has to do a lot with these people who who flame out after two or three seasons because those epithelial cells, and you see people get scoped wh- when they get scoped and their, their digestive tract is all inflamed and it's, their epithelial cells and their mucous membrane is hardly there. And it's just like what happens in the rainforest. You, 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 you burn it down to stubble and grassland. You can't house a very big biome and then your, your autoimmune, your, your, your immune system is now on high alert because when you have that canopy and that biome and that mucous membrane, those things will deal, they'll bioremediate, you know, viruses, bacteria, um, allergic proteins like, you know, gluten and wheat, um, all those things. And plus they'll keep things like Candida in control because your biome is made up of all these things, including Candida, but it's when something like Candida gets out of whack, yeah,
1: yeah, you
0: have it. So that's a big longevity piece because when you can build your digestive tract back and then not try to burn it down during a race, you know, with a hundred grams an hour or 70 grams an hour or whatever this ridiculous. I mean, this thing with trying to train your gut to absorb more calories, I I just, I think it gets people the results right away, but nobody's looking at those unintended consequences. This is
1: one thing I do not coach is trying to push as many calories per hour as your gut will handle. I just feel like that's misguided. Um, I, I do think, I agree with you on that point. I, I, I do think that we, I like to look at it the opposite way. What's the least amount of calories we can have without you having your energy's energy levels drop, right? Right. So you have steady energy, but the least amount of calories per hour. I like to look at it the other way. So that's how I come at it. in my coaching is like to come at it from, okay, well, You've been pushing 400 calories an hour or 300 calories an hour. Well, let's, let's try 200 calories an hour. And let's make some changes in your everyday lifestyle diet to tweak and help you with recovery to help you with like, adaptation. You know, I think if people are willing, and and I think too, it depends on where you are, and what age you are, you know, a lot of my athletes, my, my median age is 40, like 46 years old. So of, of the, of my coaching clients. So, I have a lot of people in their forties, fifties, even, even sixties that are, um, that, that are willing to like, they're, they're at that age where they're like, you know, the things I used to do don't work anymore. And they're willing to like, look at, and they're starting to think about longevity. They're like, I want to do this for a long time. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, that's more important to me than say, uh, you know, I don't know one performance, right? Yeah. So and and what they find is they end up having really good consistent performances when we do OFM. So, yeah. you know, because they bounce right back and then they're ready to race again and they have good energy levels and they're not crashing and they're not hangry all the time. Um, and so I think that there there's definitely benefit. The longevity piece is a a really interesting piece for me. And and I think that's a, a good selling point of OFM.
0: Yeah. But one of the things, like I said, one of the things is like this, this madness of, of pushing ever more calories. It's like, yeah, once in a while we're robust enough to handle it, but but what they're trying what they're saying, it may get results in the short term, but it's just not going to end well in the long term. And you know, when we're talking about that ultra, we're all, you know, we're all uh signed up for, you know, this is the thing that's not being talked about, where when it's just evident in all the medical literature now that sugar is the one of the main drivers of you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, MS, arthritis.
1: Well, I, I think that's the interesting thing that's come out of come out of the carnivore movement is that how much carnivore has put a lot of these metabolic issues in remission. I, I, I think that's a really interesting data point that not doesn't get talked about except in that circle because there's so many like the stories are just. Their stories and story after story of stories and I'm well, we've seen it within our own family like we have a you know i have i have a, a piece a family member that um put a, a form of rheumatoid arthritis in remission with just a grain-free sugar-free seed oil free diet basically an ofm or a yeah a, or a you know a paleo style diet um that you know, or what we, whatever we want to call an ancestral diet, like, and, and as long as she keeps it tight, the symptoms don't come back. But as soon as she starts eating a bunch of grains or a bunch of, you know, back-to-back bread meals, it comes back, back you, to back. Yep. Yeah. The symptoms come back. So you can, you can stray once, but you shouldn't stray twice, you know, well, in a row.
0: And I think you're, you you make a good point about the carnivore movement, but I paused and I had this conversation with one of my coaches cause she's doing carnivore and she, she loves it now. And she's a, she's a new PhD in nutrition and longevity and she's in her seventies now, but I gave her the challenge, like, okay, you're right. And I agree with it about the carnivore, but like, if you have to be on that diet, are you optimally, is your GI tract optimal? And she couldn't answer that because that's what I'm saying is like, when you get your digestive tract where it is, where, with a thick, rich villi and mucous membrane and then and cultivate that biome that's rich and diverse in there, it allows us to have that flexibility in terms of our food diet. It doesn't mean we can stray off co- consistently towards, say, carbs or gluten or sugars and processed foods, but it gives us a little bit more leeway because I, I kind of think that it doesn't matter what quote unquote diet is. If you have to be on a keto diet to keep your, blood sugar and your insulin in control well there's probably some things you can work on to build your metabolic capacity same thing yeah. with a with a with carnivore as good as carnivore is and i i think that animal-based foods should form the nucleus of anybody's diet
1: you know yeah absolutely well, and that's one of the reasons that i like personally i like paul saladino's work where he's he's been willing to evolve where he was kind of strict carnivore at first but that was more to put he had like some eczema issues and and he he it, it took him a while and it took a couple of years of being kind of strict carnivore for him to heal right then once he was healed he could start bringing back raw honey initially it was raw honey and then he started bringing back fruit and now he's just doing you know animal based raw dairy and fruit and raw honey and and that's kind of his like what he's calling carnivore 2.0 which i really i personally that's kind of
0: what you're doing
1: that's what i basically do I'm basically doing raw dairy and, and tons of animal products. And then I do high protein, you know, with all that, when I'm in training, I'm in, uh, you know, if I'm in low training, like I just came out of when I, when I, that's the one thing I did. I went really strict kind of keto again for like two weeks when I first bruised this quad to heal it up, keep my inflammation low. And that way I didn't put on weight um, during that low volume time, right? Cause you're used to eating a certain volume of food when you're training hard and, <laughs> and you need to be careful when you're like not in that volume anymore, and especially in, the, in your fifties. And so, cause your weight comes right. Eight will come on a lot faster than it used to. So like one of the things I I'll be strict during that time. And then I evolved back into training. And as soon as I get back into training, like my, my protein intake goes up. So I do one, I do one to 1.3 grams of protein per pound of body weight. When I'm in heavy, when I'm big training, so I do a decent amount of protein, and
0: but but that's with that's with all the natural fat that goes with the protein.
1: That's natural fat that goes with the protein, and that is with strategic carbohydrates in the form of fruit and starch. So for me, it's mainly pota- like fruit and potatoes. So those are my main carbs, and occasionally, my wife has a ancient like an old old I think it's over hundred years old, um, uh, sourdough starter. And she makes homemade sourdough bread and it is freaking delicious. Do so you I, use
0: ancient grains? Yeah, like the i or the...
1: Uh, I don't know what she's using. I'm not sure. Amaret- I there, there's
0: the i or the Amaret, uh, uh ancient wheat.
1: I'm not sure what, what she's using, but, but like I, I will have that occasionally as a special treat, you know, it, when I'm in big training. I don't have it like every day, but I have it maybe once a week. If she's making bread, I have it fresh. So and that's a treat for me, right? but But most of the time I'm on animal protein as my base, and then I'm bringing in my fruit and raw honey and raw milk and raw cheese and stuff like raw dairy and cultured yogurt strategically around effort and volume. Yeah. basically OFM. It's strategic carbohydrate use, but when you, but I definitely have kind of focused more on protein. Um, recovery and i'm i found a better a good recovery benefit from the higher protein
0: yeah well you well at the level you're training that's absolutely true right yeah and
1: i'm like i'm strength training too so you know i'm strength training three days a week i'm in the gym three days a week um plus plus run training
0: yeah so so no that that totally justifies it but that's also because you know you've built your metabolic capacity up to where you can metabolize that much protein because you know you look at there's you know i look at a lot of different studies across the board including in diseases and aging you know which is the flip side of longevity right and they recommend lower protein right for older people well i started thinking about this because you know when you look at the studies and all that it's like okay it makes sense well what's you know context matters you as a fat adapted athlete in a high training load your metabolic capacity, you, you demand that kind of protein, right? And then you look at somebody who's older and frail, they don't have the, that, 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 trying to give them more protein actually could give them cancer or something else because it's overloading their cells because their cells aren't equipped to deal with that much.
1: Yeah, and I think someone who's in that state, if they're <clears throat> having a new release on life where they're trying to get healthy, they could benefit a lot from strength training.
0: You well, it's 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 a combination of it's a combination of everything. You have to do the aerobics because I've 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 been working with a couple of guys who are coming from strength training backgrounds. You know, Jim, and it's like the light bulb goes on. It's like if I just do strength training, I am building the wrong kind of muscle fiber. And if I build that aerobic base and that adaptation, then you build because you have to build. You know, we have this type one slow twitch aerobic muscle fibers, but then you have two types of fast twitch, which is type two aerobic fast twitch muscle fibers and the type two anaerobic muscle fibers. And if you don't build that aerobic capacity, which you have by being a runner, right, Mm -hmm. you, you, you balloon up because the the body's going to do what it has to, to meet the metabolic need. And so it puts on all this, what I call white meat anaerobic muscle fiber. And that's why these guys balloon up and it's like oh and and and, and to a point most of these kind of very few of these guys have any aerobic capacity
1: right i guess what i'm saying is for older athletes what i've seen is like we're not bulking them up in this in this case we're doing one day a week of more strength-based training so like powerlifting type sets and then two days a week of maintenance higher rep training where they're getting some aerobic benefit you know, and then they're, and then they're doing aerobic, aerobic work as well. So I think the combination of all those things, I mean, at least in my practice, we're talking about in the context of ultra running, right. As far as how I coach it, but I would say even from a health perspective, if a longevity perspective, I'd say you're right. Someone needs to balance the aerobic side of things, the aerobic training with strength training, the two of those go together. Now that doesn't mean you have to be an ultra runner and train six, 12 hours a week, you know, but, but you know, a half an hour of aerobic training a day plus a half an hour of strength training, you know, three days a week, you know, would, is a really good combo.
0: Yeah, you need, you need to do it all. You need to do the yeah, interval yeah. training, the tempo training, the resistance, strength, and, and it's in the right balance and right modality and, and, and training. And one of the things I found is what we call the long, slow warm up because we see it in the data 32 to 34 minutes. So I, I just mandatory 30 minute warm up. And because that's what it takes to ramp up all those internal energy pathways, not the exogenous ones. Right. All those pathways, it takes 30 minutes, 32 to 34 minutes. So we just say 30 minute warm up because you're right on the cusp by that time. Right. Yeah. And I see it in the day. And then plus the other side of that, that's just as important. It takes that long for the for full dilation of your cardiovascular where you're recruiting all that. Interstitial fluid into plasma to build your blood volume up, so you can move the oxygen, which is really critical for burning fat. I mean, 20 minutes doesn't, 20 minutes doesn't do it. It gets you started, but but like if you do 20 minutes and then all of a sudden you're doing high-level work, whether it's lifting weights or doing intervals, all of a sudden you're in fight or flight mode. So all of a sudden it delays that switch. What I call that switch into full fat burn. But if you get to that switch, and then go into the work section. It makes all the difference because then you're doing even less damage and really having a, a thing so you know these are all little tips that we're you know you and i as collaborators are developing to, to increase that that longevity so you're just con- constantly building metabolic capacity minimizing that damage and then the other thing that that sort of an insight here is by by minimizing that damage when you go into the where the magic happens in recovery right um that's super compensation or hormesis that's where the cells are getting the signal oh i got to get stronger i got to get more robust i got to get more more mitochondria and get stronger and that's that's the body then focuses more on getting stronger rather than just kind of repairing all the damage
1: right yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so um and then just back to what you're what i was saying about this whole thing i think the whole digestive tract and and kind of trying to keep that oxidative stress of sugar on the, on the lining. I mean, the thing with the, what I see with the immune system function, because you're the front line before your immune system has to deal with anything, your biome and your mucous membrane and, you know, between the acid, the bile, and then the biome, if that's all functioning really well, it'll it'll mitigate a lot of that. And that's why I think the carnivore works is is you know, carnivore is you're eating you're eating processed vegetables. Right.
1: I like that. <laughs> no, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reuse the, that. The highly, highly
0: processed food
1: here. It um, is a highly processed food. Let that let that herbivore break it down in its multi-chambered stomach so we right. can yep. You know, salad bar beef.
0: Yeah, there you go. We're going to go to the salad bar with this 16-ounce ribeye. <laughs> um, but, but see, that's the thing. It's like, you know, like I say, because plants can't run away, they, they literally resort to chemical warfare to protect themselves.
1: Uh, that's one of the things I think that we're talking about carnivore. I think that's one of the interesting things coming out of the carnivore movement is this discussion, opening up this discussion that there are toxins – and and uh, defense me- defense chemicals in vegetables, yeah. in plants, and yeah. and understanding those and 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 you know understanding that they can't run away, they don't have you know they don't have a, a way to like they're not fleet of foot, they don't have a big nose, they don't have big ears, they they're not they don't have, they have and their heads. right, yeah. they don't have any way to defend themselves, so their defense mechanism is chemicals and and toxins, and so and and, and it's funny that 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 was never. Ever part of the of of a nutritional discussion until the carnivore movement. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's what I love that came out of that. Well, yeah, I think it, that's an it, interesting it, uh, piece the of West, the puzzle. The Western,
0: the Western pricers talked about it, and you know, yeah,
1: because they were talking about how food, how you prep food, yep. right, soaking things to get down, get rid of fermenting, acid. fermenting
0: pro foods. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and see. Like when I think about it, so these are all really key elements to that that longevity thing. So, you know, when I think about it, it's like it's like what I call the grand what I call the grand bargain. It's yeah. when we trade we traded a big gut for a big brain. That yeah. was what I called the grand bargain. So we figured out how to eat meat. We figured out if we followed the great ruminant herds or found the fisheries, we had a stable food supply. But then we we found tools to hunt. We found fire to cook with, which Further broke down the foods we needed to eat, and so all that, and then you know, pounding our food so it was tender enough to eat. We didn't have to have you know big fangs as canines, just little ones um, for tearing raw flesh. So, as we evolved, so so to speak, with this grand bargain of our 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 brain, in those early years, we made these big great gains with cooking and uh, and eating processed vegetables. Right, those highly processed <laughs> vegetables that we We accelerated that that um, process of having less reliance on our digestive tract because that's the thing. It's like when you look at our digestive tract, it's closer to a dog's and a pig's. Pigs are pigs and bears what I could consider true omnivores. And we're like a omnivorous carnivore. But you know, we don't have that capacity to break down plant matter the way a pig or a bear or a gorilla gorillas, the gorilla colon is twice as long and twice the diameter of a human. You know, right. we, and so all those capacities, while we still can have some plant matter, it's, it's, it's kind of a reserve thing and it's not meant to really supply us. in a lot of well, the,
1: and what's interesting is we don't necessarily need it. No, no. like we can get by without it
0: absolutely absolutely and And we actually
1: can thrive without it so uh, like that's an interesting point to me
0: yeah 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 if you're eating the whole animal and fresh animal it's like there's really no need
1: yeah nose to tail
0: yeah nose to tail real nose to tail not because a lot of the carnivore movement everybody's trying to eat two or three pounds of steak every day
1: (laughs) yeah and they're not doing any kind of liver or heart or anything or or, any organ
0: and not a lot of skin and connective tissue i mean you really need to up the collagen so yeah, um, That's one of the things, that's another big longevity one is the collagen because collagen proteins make up over a third of the protein in your body and they're compared to other proteins, they're actually high turnover. Right. So you, you need to replace those and your body will make it out of other elements including plant-based, but it doesn't do as well as when you give it to it. So yeah, any other, um, I mean, you're, you're living as an example, you're part of this whole grand collaboration of, of OFM. So, any other insights you might have for people? Because, you know, it's like this is, like I said to you earlier before we got on, this is a very disruptive thing we're doing. And, you know, it's not incremental innovation like a new formulation of hydrogel, right? That's just moving along the same pathway or teaching your gut to to handle more calories, right? Or liquid. This is disruptive, saying, no, this is, you know, there's there's completely better way to approach this. And so yeah, that's hard. That's hard for people.
1: I think it is. And, and it does take, it does take some, some, uh, willpower, you know, to make a change like that when the whole world around you is eating sugar and cake and junk. And, you know, I think that's, that's always a challenge for, for some OFM athletes, especially if they don't have the support at home, you know, of the rest of the family, for example, you know, like, You know, if they have the support, it's a lot easier. I've had the support from the beginning. My wife's been on board with this, you know, experiment that's still going. And, and we, and, and, and our kids are in on it too. And and we're not, and I would say this, you know, 90 10 rule 90% of the time we are on the straight and narrow. And 10% of the time I loosen the reins a little bit and I go out to eat and I, you know, consume an alcoholic beverage or I, you know, might have bread on my hamburger occasionally. Um, but I, but I'm right back. It's for one meal. This is what we talked about earlier. It's one meal. And then I'm back on it for multiple meals in a row of good. So, um, I think the biggest thing is I just want to encourage listeners, you know, if you are struggling out there or you're struggling with weight or you're struggling with, with metabolic issues, like give this a try and give OFM a try. I think it's, you know, it, it, it takes a little bit of a dedication and it takes a little bit of like looking at it as like a, a lifestyle challenge. That's how I like to coin it. It's at least an eight to 12 week challenge, right? You need to kind of like see it through and learn, and you're going to learn, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to, and, and you and you need to learn and, and, and how we learn is trying things and, and, and be willing to fail and know that failure is a stepping stone to success. Um, and I think that's a really important thing in life. And, and I, one of the things I think is really cool about this is just how good you feel. Like I, I've stayed on it for almost nine years now, almost a decade because I feel good. I, I you know, when I've strayed, I feel, you know, my GI tracks, you know, I'm bloated and I don't feel good. You know, I eat a bunch of pizza. I feel horrible. I drink beer. I feel horrible. You know, like it, it tastes good at the moment. Right. You know, but it, but I feel bad for 24 hours afterwards, you know? And I think that's one of the things that I think that's really cool about this is when you do clean up for a while and like we're this challenge I'm talking about whatever it's eight or 12 weeks, you know, you, you, you get this new level of like kind of what I call clean, a new level of clean, a new, it's like a new perspective. And that new perspective allows you to like step back. And when you do eat something like pizza or drink beer, you're like, what is wrong with me? I don't feel good, you know, or I'm bloated, you know, and all of a sudden you recognize it when that used to be your norm. That used to be my norm. But then once I stepped out of that norm and had a new norm, right, then I can look back with a a more detailed and educated eye and and experience that I can say, okay, this, I'm going to stay on this because I feel good. I've had so many athletes maybe do, you know, really strict OFM for a while, you know, months and months and months or a whole season. And then they might be in the off season and they'd, they'd stray for a while and go back to their old ways for a while. And then they just, you know, nine out of 10 times, they come to you and go, man, I got to get back on this. I felt so good on it. Like, I got to get, I got to, I got to go back through it. I got to reset, you know? And and I think that's a really a cool testament to this approach to lifestyle and longevity Is how good you feel and how consistent your energy is and and it makes it easier to maintain body weight um you know as you age um having consistent energy all day so so i just would encourage listeners to like give it a try and um i I think you will you you won't regret it
0: yeah and i think and i think you're you're on this path because you're in it for the longevity as well as the performance right both yeah yeah, you, you, can ha- you can have it all.
1: Yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not real cake, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, the real cake. Well, <laughs> maybe Jeff,
1: some paleo cake. Jeff,
0: where can people find you and your organization? Because you have a number of coaches now. You're...
1: Yeah, um, uh, gobroncobilly.com and on Instagram at gobroncobilly. Um, I am getting ready to rebrand and launch a new website pretty soon, and it will be at giddyupultra.com. Um, we'll replace my old coaching business at gobroncobilly.com. I'll still have gobroncobilly.com, but it will kind of evolve into just Jeff Browning and Giddy Up Ultra will become the coaching business front Um, that is in transition at the moment. So super excited about that change. Um, And and, and I'm really excited to have some coaches under me. They're all OFM. Um,
0: Yeah, Remo's been killing it, hasn't
1: he? Yeah, Remo's been killing it. Um, I've got Trish um, Aaron's as a coach as well. And Tyler Welch and all of whom are OFM athletes as well. And, uh, so our, you know, our, our giddy up ultra brand is OFM as an umbrella. So we, we definitely, uh, we walk the walk and talk the talk.
0: And how about Vespa? A little plug, Vespa plug. Yeah,
1: I love Vespa. I mean, that's, that is my, I would say this, uh, i would challenge anyone out there if you haven't tried vespa you should try it we've had it in the labs it definitely shows that it bumps up fat oxidation um and it
0: bumps up endurance too because in all the stuff we've done including the stuff in utah the stuff you did with that other company which we will just for privacy not say anything but all the testing that's been done the other thing that we saw was even if you're doing a back-to-back where you burn some metabolic matches you burn some mitochondria in that first test you'll burn more sugar but you still can go longer on vespa
1: yeah and and yes and i've been able to go longer in the set in the tests on vespa um longer and harder so um i would encourage athletes out there to use vespa and i'm going to give you i'll give you a quick plug on how to use it even too so if anybody's thinking about using it um using it i use it in 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 my own training this is how i use it um i use it uh every two hours during long runs or races um and i take a cv25 um before harder workouts so if i'm gonna go do like intervals if i'm gonna go do steady state work tempo work i'm gonna take a cv25 about 30 minutes before i go out for that workout um and then a cv25 30 minutes before a long run. And then I take the concentrates during, and I just, I take them old school size. I don't mix them with anything. I pop them like a gel. And then I, you know, just chase it with water. Cause they doesn't need to be mixed with water, the concentrates. Um, but I would recommend, highly recommend using this product. And, and especially even if you're a high carb athlete out there listening to this and not sure about OFM right now, like, I think it's a, a beneficial product. I think that's one of the things that Uh, Nick Curry and I had a really cool discussion about in the parking lot when we were doing testing and he's like, and he said, you know, I think it's, I think, I think Vespa is a better product even for high carb athletes, because, you know, one of the things we've seen in the the multiple studies we've done, um, we're seeing a a bump in fat oxidation rate. And if I'm OFM, I'm doing, you know, maybe 1.3 or 1.6 grams of, of, of fat per minute or two grams i'm over two grams i guess now yeah you you
0: could you could set you and peter can sustain over two grams for 15 minutes and and the big lever that's doing that is of course living at altitude
1: yeah and so what i was going to say is um you're going to get a bigger benefit in fat oxidation rate bump if you're a high carb athlete because your fat burn is going to be more blunted you're not going to burn as much many fat grams as much grams of fat per minute as like an ofm athlete. So Um, highly recommend this product for all runners out there who are dabbling in this stuff. And I, and I also, I would say there's a couple other use cases I've used it in too. Um, I have the Vespa juniors too. So, um, I, I use it with my kids, my kids take it. My son used to be in USA climbing and he took it before competitions, um, and really noticed the difference in like mental clarity and focus and, uh, um, and be able to, you know, red point Um, bouldering moves and stuff like that and climbing. And then I have my son who's 12. um, He likes to use it. He's in ninja warrior training, which is more like parkour type stuff right now, twice a week. And he likes to take it before he goes to that hour class.
0: Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like for, you know, when we talk about this whole thing about getting our physiology, optimizing fat metabolism, getting it back to the one nature bestowed on us, it's hard for a lot of people who are feel they're dependent upon their carbs because that's what they've been told. But also if you're doing a lot of carbs, you actually are dependent on those external carbs, right? Yeah,
1: you are. So, yeah. So
0: it's a big step for people. I, we, I psychologically, we get that. So, so Vespa is a great way to experience what Jeff's experiencing, what I'm experiencing, what Peter, you know, Diane Credendo, who's in her seventies and still, you know, going to the world championship for half Man's in her age group, you know, it's like, um, and at Ironman California, I just started to work with some coaches in in the triathlon sphere. And this one guy had three different athletes there, and they all PR'd. And another coach had another athlete; he PR'd. And they all had these big, big, significant PRs. And the only change was they'd added Vespin to their 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 nutrition plan. Yeah. So so yeah, it, it, for for those, I think that's a good point. That that for people who are on the fence, this is that's an easy way that you don't have to change much but then like like nick curry says and he found this out the hard way cut your calories back so take a vespa cut your calories in half and then go up or down whatever because nick said nick said when he first started using vespa after that one race at old pueblo where he was forced to use it and it worked he said he started to fuel normally and he said that that really didn't help he was over fueling Yeah. yeah yeah so cool yeah, cool. Well, once again, gobroncobilly.com. Yep, gobroncobilly.com. And then it'll be giddy up ultra
1: here and when? A Couple months? Uh, hopefully within the next month. Okay, so, so you're you're, you're going to
0: roll you're going to roll into 2024 with a new website.
1: Yeah, we should have a new website launched by 2024.
0: All right. Well, yeah. thanks again, Jeff, for being on here and being part of our team. I mean, um, Yeah, you know, and
1: I I would like to just Shout out to you, Peter. Thank you for your mentorship over the years. I appreciate it, man. Especially when I was yep. struggling with candida in the early years, that you gave me a lot of time and and attention that really helped me kind of down this path. And I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And but that's what we do. And and it's like you know we need to grow this so that we can get get it out to more people because as you know, the direction general health as well as athletic health is going is is. It's like, you know, we're trying to steer the Titanic
1: another way. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right, Jeff. Thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Giddy up.